Hi, this is Delegate Jared Solomon, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast. We may not always agree on policy, but I think we can all agree that this is the best podcast in Annapolis. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here today with Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? Doing good, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well and making his debut on the podcast, Alex Butler. Alex, how are you today? I'm good, Kevin. Happy to be here for my first and uh, hopefully not only podcast appearance. <laughs> All right. The, today on the podcast, we're going to talk point of sale policies and we'll ponder some polls. So, gentlemen, it has been, I mean, I feel like we say this every week, but it's another <laughs> long week, a lot of bills. Uh, a lot of issues, big issues still hanging out there. You're talking Kerwin, school construction, Pimlico, et cetera. Right. So high profile stuff. This is, this is par for the course. Like mid to late February is like super intense crunch time in committee, especially. Yes. So, and I mean, you know, all of us have been at the testimony table, uh, in some cases for hours and hours. Alex, I don't even remember what time you got freed up from testimony yesterday. It was late. <laughs> right. It was so, I mean, like for for context, if 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 you if you're not someone who's come down to Annapolis to be part of this glorious spectacle, there is a long-standing practice that committees schedule their whole day of hearings at one time. Right, so right. so as far as the public is concerned, it's come to this committee at one p.m. and they're going to hear their bill hearings, and you generally don't know as you drive into town or walk into the room, whether your bill is going to be first of the 18 bills or ninth or 18. So your one o'clock bill might be at one o'clock. It might be at 245 and it might be at seven. <laughs> yeah, it's really hit or miss, right? And you can get lucky some days and you're first or you'll be 18th right. or, and you'll be ninth, right? right. So if you have a couple right. bills, it's yeah, usually if, it's you're if, in the middle. If you're, yeah, if you're, if you're Mako, you usually end up like drawing, you know, you have a, a two, a seven and a queen in your hand. And it's like, yeah, you're, you're just, just book the whole day. Just, bring some snacks. Yeah. Bring some snacks <laughs> and uh, post up. Everybody's fighting over the couches outside. Oh yeah. Right. Let's the whole thing too, like the prime spots. Yeah, yeah, but this is what February is all about. So <laughs> we want today to take a mostly Kerwin-free episode, Michael. Yeah. I mean, what Kerwin light is? Yeah. Can we do like you know this with fifty uh, percent less Kerwin or something like that? I, I mean, we know fair. we yeah. know we have some loyal followers who who want to follow the bouncing ball, and it's continuing. There's more story. There's more to that story. Don't worry. But for for this week, we'll talk about some other stuff. I think we'll have plenty to talk about next week. I, uh, I think frankly. you're probably right. Yeah. yeah. So Alex. Um, um, we're really happy to have you with us today. You are on the environment and land use beat for Mako. We're happy to have you here today to talk about the bag ban. This is an issue that is getting a lot of attention around town. We've seen it in all the papers. I know there were a couple big hearings, and this is probably one of the days where you were stuck in there for hours and hours and hours. But this is about point of sale, right? Yeah, so essentially the bill is requiring the retailers establish, uh, first off, that you cannot provide a plastic bag to a customer at the point of sale. And second, it requires retailers to establish uh, essentially what amounts to a price floor on these other types of paper bags. Yeah. Hmm. So so this is the, like, the cashier says, you want paper or plastic? And this is Maryland saying, maybe this is a moment in time where we can make a difference on environmental stuff. And doing plastic bags, even to the extent that some of them are supposedly biodegradable, this is still kind of a bad practice. Maybe we shouldn't do the plastic. 
Maybe you should limit or curtail the paper. We should be doing more reusables and so forth. But this is not a new idea, right? This, this debate has been bouncing around in Maryland. I've lost track of how many years we've had a variation of this theme in the legislature. Right. It, it gets some degree of oxygen and then, you know, whatever you just, they haven't been able to find the perfect solution and coalition to bring it all together. Right. And that's probably because there is probably not a perfect solution that's going to make everybody happy. This is one of those issues where, you know, I think, Michael, you have a favorite analogy (laughs) to use here. It's whack-a-mole to me. I mean, I think that's exactly it, right? Everybody's been to the, you go to the state fair or whatever, and you play the game where, you know, one gopher pops up and you bang bang him on the head and then another one pops up. This, This bill, I mean, it's not the only bill that fits this class, but it feels like the same thing. You have multiple stakeholders who have their own points of view. And along the way, as you try and accommodate one point of view and say, okay, we've, we've changed the bill and we think this is going to be good for you. Are you okay? They say, fine, we're, we're fine. We're, we're okay now. Then suddenly somebody who was previously okay with the bill, they say, well, but you took out the thing that we really wanted or the thing we really needed or the most important part of the bill and somebody else pops up. You got it. The bill, right? Right. Everybody (laughs) says you got it. The bill, right? So, I mean, Alex, so the 10 cents charge, we, we talked about that. And, but this bill also does something else that we've talked about a lot. And tell us about the preemption aspects of this bill, because I know that's concerning as well. Right. So, so three counties and six jurisdictions in Maryland actually led the way on this, these types of programs. And the three Pretty common. Can, yeah, right. Pretty common. Right, the locals right. are ahead of the state on stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So the three counties that have these programs, uh, they actually have varying different programs. So there's a, different types of uh, fees and different types of bans. And in Montgomery County, specifically, they have a five cent fee on all bags. And that generates $2.5 million for their water quality program. So they're using that fee to promote environmental efforts, cleaning up the environment. It goes directly to doing that kind of stuff, correct? Right. It goes right back into the community for water quality. So this bill, though, it would say they're not going to be able to do that anymore. The 10 cents is going to be kept by the retailers. And so that five cents that Montgomery was getting in terms of a fee to clean up the environment, that will be off the table. Right. There's apparently an attorney general opinion floating around that says that county programs are preempted here, hmm. which means that Montgomery County, Baltimore City and Howard wouldn't be able to execute their programs as written. So, so that's one of those. Uh, you know, that's a poison word for those of us who represent local governments in the state policy process. When we hear preemption, that's sort of the, you know, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. I'm like, wait, hold it. What? 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 And sometimes we end up in a battle over preemption where the state fundamentally doesn't like what a county or a city has decided to do. But this is, this is like through the looking glass. This is inside out because I don't think anybody who likes this bill and I don't think anybody who is advocating saying it's time to get rid of plastic bags and push toward reusables and so forth. I mean, all the pro environment groups who want that stuff, they love these programs that, that a county like Montgomery is investing these revenues in. They're, they're doing stream restoration and so forth. It's like, right, I mean, like that's exactly what that community would like to see public funds being used for. And to have a bill say, all right, shut all that stuff down, that that's a really weird side-by-side in one bill. It is. And I mean, so you really want to shut that down to make the Walmarts of the world happy. I mean, that doesn't really seem like it's their lane. Typically, they're in there saying, no, 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 no. Right. Stick it to them, right? But this, in this case, it's like, no, we're fine with the environmental programs being shut down because we really just need to ban the bags and maybe there won't be any bags, so they won't need the program. It's really inside out and it's, it's hard to follow, quite frankly. 
right? So the, the 10 cent fee is, is, you know, it has been proposed because it's a deterrent, right? So when you go to the store, you know, you're going to be charged 10 cents for every bag. You might buy, you might use less bags. Mm-hmm. So with that 10 cent fee, um, counties right now are going to use that for providing reusable bags, which would help further advance the goal of, I believe, right. the goal An- of the bill another, is right. just to, to keep, you know, reducing single use bags. And it also goes to water quality and litter pickup. Right. So I, I think that this really, counties could be a potential partner here. And and when we showed up, I mean, now we've we've had the hearings in both the House and the Senate, which were, I think, two, you know, similar but not identical conversations. Mm-hmm. But so, I mean, everything's on the table. And that's what that's what we came to the table with saying we want to retain the ability to keep funding these programs. And we're fine having strings attached sure. to do this range of things. And it's all the same philosophy as the bill. But. It's it's whack-a-mole because, uh, you know, I mean, as, as you talked about this 10 cent, I like the term price floor because mm-hmm. that's a really I've never heard anybody make that argument here. But I guess there's this esoteric concept that if the if the government says the retailer has to charge something, but it doesn't come back to the government, then then maybe we can hold our breath and cross our fingers and say it's not a tax. It's not a fee. It's not a charge. It's just a. Price it's floor? something, right? Something, right, 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 and you have to note that on the receipt so that it gets to the consumer, and then that will hopefully change their preference. Right. I, I mean, I get, I get, I get that. If you're trying to, it's, it's the same thing. It's like you put, you put the sticker on a car that says what the mileage is because you want people to be impressed by the mileage number, right? Right. I mean, right, okay. right so right. it's the same right. philosophy. Make it visible so people realize they paid the dime. Don't hide it. Okay. Okay, I, I, I get I get that as a theory, but the insistence that no, no share of this money can come back for things like environmental projects or or enforcement, right, right, because right. <laughs> that's another issue here, right? This would say that counties have to enforce the bill, right? Yeah, the state no funding to do the it. state doesn't have people who are going to come around and tell the grocery stores what they have to do. It's, right. it's going to be local governments. And the resources for that sort of thing has always been, you know, through the associated revenue sure, stream. Sure. Anyway, I, I just think that's fascinating. And that's a, that's a that's a sort of sleight of hand argument I've never seen before. This is a charge. The customer is going to feel it. It's imposed by the government, but it's not a tax. It's not a fee. It's not a charge. It's just a price floor. And and that citizens are going to understand this is not really – this is not a fee. Right. Really? No, they you won't. You think they're they going to? No. They right. But so, so, Alex, what are other states doing here? I mean, do, do, have we seen this issue play out in other states and, you know, these local issues play out in other states as well? Yeah, several other states have uh, been looking at bag bans and fees for a long time. New York actually has a program incoming. It's going to start in March where they ban plastic outright. Right. But, so that's that's what we're talking about. Right. Too, right? So online here thus far. Step two, they empower locals. It's actually enabling legislation so that their local jurisdictions can impose, if they wish, a five cent, I believe, five cent fee uh, on other types of bags, so these durable ones, these paper ones. So more or less back to what we're asking for. I mean, at least the same neck of the woods that we are saying, okay, take take the worst thing off the table. If we think the plastic is the worst of the lot, get rid of those. What's left are you want people to do reusables, and one way to push people in that direction is by saying there's a charge, but the money goes back to like maybe, you know, Onondaga County, New York, can run a program where they give, you know, give people reusable bags. That 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 seems pretty reasonable, and it seems to make 
makes sense. But for whatever reason here, it doesn't seem like a lot of the advocates want to budge on this. And I mean, I have my ideas. I'm sure, you know, later, like, look, we got this bill put together. Anything that you guys do to untie it or amend it, it's just going to hurt the bill's chances. And we see that a lot, right? Don't mess sure. with my bill. Right. We, we've, we've got the balance just right. What do we think on this year's bill, Alex? I mean, I think it's really tough to satisfy all the stakeholders on this one. Uh, I mean, everybody has a different perspective on it. Uh, and if you watch the hearings, you're going to see a variety of people, some opposed, some support with different, differing yeah, amendments. Right. Some just want the, the, just want a plastic ban. They're not really interested in all the details. Um, so I think it's a tricky one for them to figure out. Is there any state though that has gone this exact direction that said, make the retailers charge for what bags they give, but they have to keep the money? Is there anybody who's done that? No, you, typically it's a, it's a partial thing. It's usually the enforcement costs, um, are, you know, going right. to, so there's like a, fee. it's right. split. They split right. the fee and it goes to, you know, jurisdictions or the state or, and then it partially is retained by yeah, the retailer. And, and, and you, you do something to offset costs sure. by the retailers. Right. I mean, like retailers are buying bags today, right? They're doing it right now as a convenience. Uh, there are some places that charge you for a bag. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, I've, I've been to a grocery store that charges a nickel a bag and they just do it on their own. They say, this is our policy. And if you don't like it, either bring your own bag or just walk out with your stuff in your hands. Right. 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 And, right. Uh, yeah. and, and even more interesting thing is within Maryland, local jurisdictions, they actually negotiated with retailers and retailers settled for four cents in Baltimore City right. and, and a couple cents in, in Howard. But here, nothing less than 10 cents will do. Right. right. So <laughs> is Maryland going to be the bold state who just right. gives it all to the retailers and forgets about the right. enforcement and the yeah. cleanup efforts? Is that what we're doing? I'm hoping we can find a balance. Right. <laughs> right. I yeah. think I think me too, but we'll see. I mean, yeah. this does like you said, there are a lot of different people, stakeholders with amendments and whack-a-mole. a lot of people whack-a-mole, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Another bill that is generating some buzz, uh, a typical, you know, this is also a point of sale issue. This is the bottle bill, and I know that we have seen variations of this as well over the years, Michael. And this is all about a deposit on cans and bottles, right? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen legislation in Maryland. It's been a couple of years. I think we had two or three years running where there were some pretty detailed proposals that, um, that ended up getting, you know, gummed up in the legislative process for a variety of reasons. Um, so it's been a couple of years. I don't remember the last time a state went out and adopted bottled and can deposits. Right. And this is, this is, you know, five or 10 cents on each can or bottle when you, when you buy beverages at the grocery store and that sort of thing. Um, I, there are places that have this, but no one's going this direction. So this is right. just sort of baked in, right? This is something that's been yeah. in place for a long time. I, I mean, you grew up, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm older than you fellows. I mean, I grew up <laughs> with with returnable bottles when we bought. You know, when you bought Coca Cola, we we had eight packs of returnable bottles, and there was a nickel on each bottle, and then you brought them back to the grocery store, and mm-hmm. they had a redemption mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. That's just what everybody did. And sometime in like the late '80s. That just sort of went by the wayside most places. Uh, I went to college in New York where they still have a bottle deposit program, and that's just sort of a cultural thing there. Um, but they – I don't know. There, there's some differences in the world between New York and Maryland, and some of them are on the recycling side. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, Alex, we've – so. We've mentioned we've seen this kind of a bill before, but this year's bill also is different. 
Yeah. So previous, as, as Michael discussed, previous iterations of the bill had, you know, a detailed plan that could be, you know, essentially picked apart here. And we could say, well, this part isn't financially viable. This is a streamlined bill. It mandates a few things. First off, it mandates that we're doing this program. Right. So, um, yeah, this is this isn't like a study or a let's see what happens. It's, it's right. we're going to do it. It's going to be 10 cents. It's right. MDE has to do this. Right. Um, and then a 10 cent deposit. But then it creates a work group made up of uh, a few stakeholders to kind of hammer out the details. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, that's an interesting strategy, right? We're not going to write the bill and have everybody get upset and come in and talk about it. Just trust us. We're going to do it, but trust the work group to come up with the way we're going to do it, and then we'll do it. That's very interesting. You know, I I think it's an interesting concept. I mean, I'm sure, sure, Alex, you probably went back and watched the public hearings from a few years ago on these bills, but I remember sitting at the table – and you know, you know, Mako said, "Well, take a look on page three of the bill, right. lines eighteen through twenty-nine, and then on page four, and then on page eight, and so forth." And it was, "What about this? Now, this who's going to license these redemption centers, and how many do there have to be?" And blah, blah like, but the devil in the details that when, when a bill spells out exactly how it's going to work, then as an advocate. You are now sort of you have to defend all those things. Right, right. So, okay, this is a different strategy. Leave the details out. Say they'll all be pending, but can we just embrace the big philosophy and do a dime on every can? Right. Right. And so for me, there are two questions. Number one, how do you deal with single stream? Uh, And number two, how do you fund the initial costs of a program like this? And previous iterations haven't come up with a, a good plan. So it's it's difficult to sign off on a bottle deposit bill without something that works. Yeah, and Maryland is pretty good at single stream recycling, right? And if you're taking the aluminum and the glass out, what happens to the single stream, right? That's a big question. And I think that's one of the issues that Mako raised at the bill hearing, right? Right. It's really those commodities that, uh, you know, kind of help keep uh, recycling programs going in Maryland. It's tough to go from having all of this and being so good at single stream, you know, to, to, to imposing it, taking this out and making things go haywire with our single stream recycling. I imagine a lot of the environmental advocates are sort of on, in different places on this one as well. I, I think it's it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's true that Maryland comparatively does really well with curbside pickup of single stream recycling. And we all are Basically, whether we like it or not, we're all just circus animals and we can be trained into particular behavior. And over the course of a generation, families have just adopted. I got the yellow bin or the blue bin and we put it out on Tuesday and it's a different truck and we know that it goes to a different place and that sort of stuff. And these are the things that go in. Right. That gets a little complicated. You know, China's making things hard and that sort of stuff. But like. I mean, my family is really proud. We, we have, we always have more, you know, physically more recycling than trash yes. every week. And that's, yeah, that, that's what you want, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I live in Anne Arundel County. Anne Arundel's, you know, big into trying to hit a 50% number and like flexing their muscles that they do really well getting citizens on board with it. If suddenly it's like, well, okay, you know, the, the bottles are going separate place, the cans are going into something else, so you're doing all these different things. Those are going back to grocery store, or right. like you have to drive that across the county to a redemption center to get your dimes back. You you end up okay now. What's left in the recycling plan, and how how motivated how mo- motivated are we to pick it up? 
how motivated are families to continue playing ball? We don't know. Right. So speaking of kind of consumer preference and actually how Maryland's doing as a state. So uh, the last number I've seen is 44 percent in general of Maryland's uh, recycle. Maryland recycles about 44 percent of their materials, um, whereas other states such as Oregon, who actually has what is considered the gold standard of a bottle deposit program, they have a higher bottle de- um, redemption rate, mm-hmm. but they have a lower total recycling percentage. Um, and they actually had to double their bottle deposit fee mm-hmm. to get up to a number closer. Close to Maryland. Right. So, I mean, this it, it's tricky. Another thing that we always hear is bottles and cans are a visible part of the litter problem. But in terms of the solid waste universe, it's a relatively small share of the solid waste stream. And we have these debates about how, you know, how close can we get to zero waste and, and what targets can we hit through recycling programs. And you, making big changes in bottles and cans, like it's noticeable down by Mr. Trash Wheel and, and places like that. I get that. It's not that it's a non-issue. Litter is its own issue. Right. But like you could undercut a lot of what we're accomplishing in the big volume of solid waste if you really just try and focus on this relatively small piece of it, which are bottles and cans. So it's, I don't know, it's it's an interesting policy issue, interesting that it's back in a different frame. Uh, that was one of those one of those hearings that kept you in committee a long time yesterday, so. Right, it did. <laughs> so fair to say, this is, you know, this is an issue where we have a lot of legislators, a lot of interest groups that are worried about trash, they're worried about solid waste, but maybe the building blocks aren't there right now, or this is not going to be something that can happen very soon, just because, as you said, Michael, whack-a-mole, it's hard yeah. to get every everything together. Right. And, you know, public perception matters on these things like this. And I have to think if you're a legislator, you'd have to think, I I I might like what this bill is about, but I'm not sure I'm ready to go back to my first town hall when people hear we're putting a dime on the bottle and you got to drive across the county to some facility to bring go go get your 80 cents back. Right, right. I just want to put my yellow bin out every day. What happened to that? Right. Right. It's going to be a tough sell. Right. All right, so we're going to go ahead and take a break there. When we come back, we'll take a look at the Goucher poll, all that and more after the break. Good ideas often start locally at the town, city, and county levels. Local governments were the first to pass laws on child bike helmets, public smoking, and paid sick time in Maryland. These laws have since inspired changes at the state and national levels. The ability of elected officials to improve the quality of life in your community is now at risk. To protect it, visit localmaryland.org. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson and Alex Butler. Gentlemen, we closed on a note about public perception. Let's keep that theme going. We're going to talk about the latest Goucher poll, and uh, we look forward to this every time it, it pops, right? Well, we're not alone. I mean, polling has like a weird place in public policy and in politics because – I, I think you want to resist the perception that policymakers just stick their finger in the breeze and, well, if 51% of people agree with A, then A must be the right thing to do. I, I don't think that's how things work. Right. But I, I think there is value in having some rigorous sense of what people are thinking about big picture issues and, you know, an issue of the day and that sort of stuff. So, 
having a local player like Goucher and Malia Cromer, friend to the podcast and, and, and like gets it. So, so they always build a really good survey instrument. They ask a lot of interesting questions. Some of them are repeats. So you can look apples to apples and then some of them are just, you know, interesting and amusing. So anyway, when, when, when she showed up two or three days ago and said, yeah, at midnight or what, what 1201 yeah, AM, yeah. we're going to post the first piece of the Goucher poll. Everybody's like drumming fingers, setting, I'm setting my alarm clock for midnight. Right. So Alex, let me ask you, we've had a mild winter so far. We, would you prefer <laughs> an early spring or are you hoping for one big snowstorm this winter? I don't want any snowstorms. General assembly does not take off for snow. That means we're going to be in there and I got to fight this traffic and the traffic circle down near where I live. Uh, that would be an absolute disaster. Okay, so well, you s- are with the majority of Marylanders. 57% of them say they prefer an early spring. 41% are still holding out hope for a big snowstorm. So this is one of those just, we'll start with the important question here, right? This is an interesting <laughs> stuff. Uh, but but I, I, How on earth is this a 60-40? Right, I, I don't mean, f- Forgive me. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of uh, maybe more relevant issues as we're talking in in session. Uh, Governor Hogan and the Maryland General Assembly. Let's talk about what Marylanders think here. We know that Michael and Alex, Governor Hogan has traditionally had a very strong and stable rating. Is that what we're seeing here for his job approval? Sure. No, no surprise. Right. Um, I mean, that that has been the more things change, the more they stay the same. So even though the conversation can be different in and around Annapolis, by and large, the governor stays in the good graces of most Marylanders. Um, that, that showed up at the polls last time, you know, at the actual, actual voting booth right, last right. time. Uh, but it remains in the polls, uh, you know, 62% approval rating this time. That's going to keep him in the very top tier of state level public officials. You know, usually Governor Hogan and Governor Baker, uh, are among the most popular governors in the U.S. I imagine he'll stay there. Right. So relatively consistent. We saw that it was 64% in the September Goucher poll. So he hovers right around there. Nothing's really changed there. In terms of the General Assembly, 41% of Marylanders say they approve of the job that the General Assembly is doing, 27% disapprove, 29% say they don't know. So it might sound bad if you hear 41% approve, but remember, 29% say they don't know. So I think it's hard to say, oh, only 41% of people approve of the job they're doing. Right. That's a net plus 14. And like, I think if you ask a comparable question about the United States Congress, oh. as opposed to your state legislature, um, usually the U.S. Congress gets an approval rating that's down in the like 10% approval. I mean, you know, well, when people are asked uh, about their Americans, Americans generally seem to agree that that Congress is a bunch of low-life bums, but my representative, right. she's great. Right. They like their representative, but Congress. <laughs> and we're voting know. for her. Yeah, that, yeah. but but the rest of those people are, are no good. Okay. <laughs> a, a fascinating one that I just want to touch on for a moment. Uh, 49% of Marylanders say that they believe the state is heading in the right direction. 32% say Maryland is off on the wrong track. And this is significant because at this time last year, Michael, what were Marylanders saying about the way that they felt the state was heading? I, I think these like right direction or on the right track questions, I think pollsters have been using these for a long time as the, the generic finger in the breeze. Mm-hmm. And at the national level, I think most people have assumed that when we talk about is America on the right track, 
it's kind of a blend of what do you think about the current president and administration and also how do you feel about the national economy? Right. I mean, right. these are almost like proxy questions for like, you know, is this an era of good feeling or are we tense? Is this malaise? All those sorts of those show up in questions like, are we on the right track mm-hmm. at the national level? I feel like that's a pretty understandable question at the state level. I don't know what are, is Maryland on the right track. I mean, are we talking about the Maryland economy? Mm-hmm. I mean, is are people thinking? I mean, I mean, I'm prone to overthinking. Are Marylanders, Marylanders joining me? And is this some nuanced, very like Maryland compared to Virginia or the United States? Yeah, it's tough to gauge. Yeah, right? Is this about? Is this about our governor? Is this about our government? Um, you know, like. It's just it's tricky when when you when you think about is America on the right track? You might be caught up in foreign policy. Well, like Maryland is not engaging in treaty disputes with West Virginia, at least to my knowledge, right? Maybe uh, soon. Maybe right. soon. We'll get although although there are some kangaroo laws I want to talk about. Yeah, we will. We'll, <laughs> but, but, so, but, so. we are looking to sue Pennsylvania over some certain <laughs> actually, issues. Actually, you know, actually, come to think of it, point. Right? yeah. Point. So, but last year, skirmish. last year at this time, fifty nine percent believed we were heading in the right direction, right? So ten percent right. drop. It's it seems significant to. me. Me. Yeah, that feels like a thing, like a 10% move on a question like this. You, you want to – like you're not going to find anything in the crosstabs. And and by the way, all praise be to Goucher. They reveal the whole deal. Right, right? they really do. Right? Yeah. Here's three pages of numbers and then if you uh, want to nerd out and you want all the details, it is all do. there, yeah. right? We so do. So that's great. We like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean – it's not like everybody has just decided Maryland stinks. Right. You go from 59 to 49 and the net positive is still substantial. There's still net plus 17. Mm-hmm. So it's not like everybody just has gotten sour on the state. But is there something in the air, like in local politics or in state policy or with the governor? Like we don't see the governor's number dropping a lot. So it's not like everyone's turned on Governor Hogan. Right. I mean, is it is it the conversation about education and that's gotten a little bit fractious and we've talked about oh, dark money and other things like that? Is it is it that conversation that's got people turned off to some degree? And, and specifically in that conversation, is it taxes, the conversation that's turned to how are we going to fund this? And you've heard various proposals and people talking about your taxes are going to yeah. go that that's very possible that that could play into it. But I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't think there's enough here to say what it is, but. I think it's the it's the most interesting single number in the poll for my money. Mm-hmm. D- drops ten percent, and I can't figure out why. I'm gonna have to. We'll have to ask Malia uh, about that. It's it's very interesting. But still, sixty one percent of Marylanders rate Maryland as a good or excellent place to raise a family. Majority of people say it's a good place to find a job. Now the number does drop a little bit when you get to is it a good or excellent place to get a quality K through twelve education, and that's a obviously a big topic around town. Less than fifty percent, forty seven percent say. That it is. And 39% say that it's a good place to run a business. So, you know, it's kind of all over the map. And when you look at, is it a good place to retire? It's 27%. So that's very interesting. But let's turn a little bit to the to the, the Kerwin Commission. And we said this would be Kerwin, Kerwin Light. We can't avoid it right. 100%. But there are very interesting numbers here when it comes to education and specifically the Kerwin Commission. I mean, you, you ask a series of questions and it's kind of, do you agree with this? Mm-hmm. And there is an art in designing a survey instrument to try and get a legitimate point of view. It's a big deal, to right? Do that, right? Yeah. So that's that, that, that's tough. But 
on public education. That I mean, that is a big topic, and and Goucher understands that. So so we we load up with questions on that. So should public schools offer more job or vocational training programs? You want to hear about a big number, right? A number that I I am hard-pressed to remember ever seeing this many people agree on anything. 93 out of 100 Marylanders agree with that statement. That's wild. I mean, Alex, have you ever seen uh, people agree on anything? 93% of them agree on one particular thing? Not in this realm. I mean, you can only get four out of five dentists to agree that sugarless gum is better, man. That's only 80. And that's a huge deal. Who's the fifth dentist? Anyway. He's running around just crushing people's souls. <laughs> but but yeah, ninety three percent. I think even he's persuaded. He's right, like, yeah, he, actually, we should do actually, this. <laughs> but 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 I, you can see, you know, this has been something. I you can see even down in Annapolis, everyone seems to agree. We need to do more of this. Mm-hmm. We need to stop stigmatizing. You know, the you know people who don't go to to four year schools, trade schools, vocational schools. There's good money in it. We need them. So I, you could see this tide turning. But I did not think ninety three percent of people would say this is a, a great idea, right? When you look at teacher salaries, 85% say that the salaries of public school teachers are too low. Only 10% disagree with that. So it's another big number. It's another huge number, right? right? It's very interesting. That's a big part of the conversation when it comes to Kerwin. And 76% agree that uh, many of the public school buildings and their facilities in Maryland are run down. 16% disagree. So we also are seeing a big school construction bill this year, right? So this seems to be sort of in line with what the General Assembly is looking at right now, Mm -hmm. to a degree. So, I mean, that, and that, I don't think, I I don't think any of these come as surprises that the phrasing of those questions are going to gather support. Um, It's always tough to put that in context. Mm -hmm. Goucher tries and I think does a good job to do that, but it's never perfect. So in in isolation, you know, are you ticked off about a few things? Yeah, I am. You want things to be better? Yeah, I do. Okay. Right. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty easy. I'm I'm yes on all these questions. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Sure. You know, a big, big topic. 69% of residents agree that public schools do not receive enough state funding. 18% disagree. So, you know, 70% of people essentially believe that schools are underfunded. And that's obviously, again, plays right into what's going on here in Annapolis. And then finally, let's just get this out of the way. 64% agree that state funding for public schools is not spent effectively by school administrators. 19% disagree. Hmm. So, they think that they're not getting enough money, but also that they're not spending that money effectively. Uh, that's an interesting one. It's a very interesting one. See, I feel like that's another proxy question for, like, okay, the question is, do you agree that the, the funding is not spent effectively? And it sounds to me like if you want to disagree with that statement, like you're saying, I'm my heart and soul believe that the the the, the government is doing a great job and it's unimpeachable on 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 everything it's trying to do. Like that that feels like the right. phrasing there pushes me to say, yeah, it's not being you done perfectly, not perfect, not, not right, perfect, right? right? Yeah, right. government is not you know is is notorious for getting a few things wrong along the way, even if on balance they do a good job. So, so that's yeah, tough. Right, yeah, that's tough. Okay, right. okay. Let's turn to sports betting. Alex, are you a big sports better? Because I mean, if people have listened to this podcast, we can go on and on about 
sports wagering and you know what how we're going to do it is going to be on the ballot are they going to pass a bill but i mean if you you're i'm sure you've been following this issue to a degree yeah to a degree i mean i might become uh, pretty interested <laughs> in sports betting i know I'm, I'm a big fan of european soccer and there i know, you know. They, those guys are always they bet on everything yeah, like so, right at the stadium too right Right at exactly. the stadium <laughs> mobile apps <laughs> i mean they, they they do it all right so i'd definitely be be interested in something along these lines so so then you're saying you would ex- you would support expanding gambling to include sports betting in Maryland online. Would you would you support that? It sounds like you would. Yeah, it looks like I'd be included in the 47% uh, that support that. 47%, 43% oppose. And then when we talk about supporting the expanding of gambling to allow sports betting at locations, so not online, but racetracks, casinos, stadiums in Maryland, 45% support, 49% oppose. So pretty much online or at stadiums, at casinos, racetracks, those are pretty much right in line. But it's interesting. I think a lot of people believed that this number would be higher when it comes to sports wagering. It seems everyone talks about this is a done deal. You know, people don't people don't mind it. But I think when it comes to gambling, it's always a tough sell. And there are a lot of people who don't like it in general. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's horse racing, sports wagering, whatever. I thought it was interesting to break that question out to mm-hmm. like the, the specific phrasing there, I think is interesting. And like that's sort of an A B test a little bit, which I think is sort of a psycho- psychology game. Um, but anyway, I find it interesting. Like the more detail you put on it, maybe the less popular it gets. Right, when you like say the casino. like the bills we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Those like if you just say, is it okay to legalize sports wagering to help pay for education? Then maybe suddenly you have seventy five percent agree with that. But if you say we're going to allow sports wagering at the casinos or racetracks in your state, or you know, right right down the road from your house right. or from your daughter's school, then maybe, oh, only 40% are good for that. I don't like right? that. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, I, that, I mean, you know, there, there's an art, there's some art and some science involved in this this game. I right. Think. So, as policy people, we did, we would approach it from that right. angle. Well, this is going to fund this, this is going to fund that. And you take that into account. But it's interesting to see that your average person is, you know, that might not be as engaged on that sort of, you know, yeah. thinking. I think that's true. Half of them essentially are opposed. Right. And let's talk about the coronavirus. It's a serious issue. Uh, you know, we have seen this spreading throughout the world, and there are concerns now that it's going to to, to spread in the United States. And the Gautra poll did ask uh, residents what their concerns are about the coronavirus. What did we see here? I mean, concern, but if you put it in context, uh, maybe not a ton. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I forgot the dates that the actual survey was conducted. It's, it's you know, 10, 10 days, two weeks ago or there, you know, thereabouts. Right. I wonder if you took another snapshot today, you know, two weeks later mm-hmm. than this survey. I wonder if these numbers would be up. Cause so if it's a, a modest majority, it's like 50, 56. Right. So 56% of Marylanders you're registered as, you know, very concerned, somewhat concerned about coronavirus. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. As of two weeks ago, there was kind of a sense that this was a, a China issue. Isolated. And then there's this one cruise ship and right. there's a Hong Kong thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last few days, it's suddenly it's like Italy and Croatia and, you know, confirmed cases in multiple U.S. states and well, my travel plans. Right. right yeah. Right, right. Right. So, I mean, who knows? You know, the, the, the president made an address last night speaking about this issue and, you know, prepare for the worst and all that sort of thing. So I don't know. The numbers are probably moving here. I, I think 
to say that Marylanders are dismissing this relative to similar issues in, in relatively recent years, mm-hmm. I, I think that might be a timing thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if you ask today, they'd be higher. For context, you know, back in 2014, 64% said they were somewhat or very concerned over the outbreak of the Zika virus. We all remember that was a big deal. And then in 2016, 66% concerned over an outbreak of the Ebola virus. That was also a big deal. So I think this 56% number about the coronavirus is ticking up and it's probably going to get to the point where it's similar to what Zika was and uh, Ebola. But it's just interesting. This is another one of those questions where I think right. it's a really it's, interesting question to ask. It's on people's mind. And this this is the moment on the podcast where we decline to take an 18-minute detour into chewing off fingernails and talking about what might happen with with the coronavirus and COVID-19 and so forth, because we know I don't want to do Maybe that Maybe we'll right do a now. special episode. No. And, and, uh, yeah. No, I don't want to do it either. It's not our land, I don't really. Want to do it. I don't want to do it. All right, gentlemen, let's talk about presidential politics at the national level, particularly when it comes to the Democratic primary. Obviously, Maryland, I think it's pretty safe to say, is going to uh, elect a Democrat in the presidential election. So we're focused on the primary here. And we saw a poll conducted by Goucher last September and then now. And it seems like we've seen a lot of movement with the candidates here. And this seems like it's it's basically following the national trend here, right? I, th- I think that's mostly true. Um, I, I think... I mean, there's a lot of attention on the Democratic primary for a variety of reasons, you know, a, a big field and what what seems to be a wider array of sort of political points of view within the Democratic field. I mm-hmm. mean, you have the Democratic socialist wing and you have some avowed centrists and, and so forth. So that that's made this interesting horse race watching anyhow. Mm-hmm. I, I think... The timing of a Maryland poll in the middle of September happened to be right in the middle of a wave for one particular candidate. Senator Warren mm-hmm. um, was riding a crest and suddenly looking like maybe the front runner among the Democrats for, you know, she had like a three week run or so and it was right in September. Right. So, so you take a snapshot then versus a snapshot today and you end up some weird with weird numbers. Former Vice President Joe Biden was seen as the front runner and Elizabeth Warren seemed to be the hot contender on the progressive side at that moment right on his heels, nationally. Right. Right. And that bore out in the Goucher poll in Maryland. So so they were the number one and two players then. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, yeah, and so so the 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 deck chairs have have been shifted um, all over the place. Uh, you know, in the race generally, if people have dropped out and people have shown up, you got some people with giant bags of money are suddenly players and and you know have a media presence that was just not present back in the fall. Right. right? So so you know Bernie Sanders, who nationally right? has a ton of momentum right now. He was at 10% in September in Maryland, and this time in February, he is at 24%. He is the leading candidate in this poll. So that's very interesting. Joe Biden dropped from 33 to 18, and Elizabeth Warren from 21 just down to 6. So it seems like her wave may be over here, you know, nationally and in Maryland. But obviously, Bernie Sanders, I think a lot of people are interested in what's going to happen here. And if he can continue, uh, you know, he's he's been around for a long time, right? right. We've seen this show before, but he seems right. to be catching some 
some momentum yeah. this time. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, this is, yeah, we're out of our lane trying to get into, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make the Conduit, Conduit Street analysis of Super Tuesday. No, no, I don't think that's exactly what we're doing here, but it's one of the things that's on a lot of people's minds. And it is pretty interesting to look at two snapshots you know, a few months apart and see how, how the pieces are fitting together so differently. Alex, I also feel like it's interesting. Back in September, 15% were undecided. Now we're in February and 18% are undecided. So more people... Uh, are undecided than they were back in September. And Michael, you mentioned that we have candidates dropping out. And so I would think maybe people are starting to say, okay, well, that's my guy, that's my gal. But, you know, it's not a huge drop, but it's interesting. Right. So people dropping out, people jumping in, you know, there's this late, you know, well, I'm the one who can actually win this for the Dems. Yeah. I mean, that's a big undercurrent. Big too. People have their teams, they, they have their loyal to their, you know, because of this, you know, specific issues or they really like the personalities. And then, you, you know, you add in the viability piece, especially late on. I think another thing is that the major media markets that reach Marylanders, if you're in the Baltimore media market, no one's spending money in, I mean, our, 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 True. Our primary is in late April, True. so we're not doing that. But if you're in the D.C. market, Virginia is a Super Tuesday state. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, I watch Jeopardy on a D.C. station and we are bombarded with a bunch of stuff, right? right? So, so you're seeing it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, the, you know, the radio stations and, and, and television and so forth, and I'm sure – if you're geographically close to to Virginia, you're probably getting geofenced in to get online advertisements and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I have to think that some of Maryland is getting more exposed to this race than others. And I don't know. I mean, I'm amused by the undecided number being basically the same wave. Right. But, you know, there's there's a lot of like superficial support there, probably especially for Biden with big name recognition. Very interesting points there. So we'll put the link on the blog and please go and check it out and again shout out to goucher malia they do such a great job and uh, we always look forward to looking at this poll and sharing some interesting numbers with our listeners but we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week as always if you enjoy the podcast please go ahead and subscribe get the episode sent directly to you follow along on social media twitter facebook and of course the conduit street blog but for alex and michael until next week kevin canale signing off and we will talk to you soon <laughs>